You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. I'm not a big fan of horror films. Terry is. Terry loves horror films, and there's a horror film coming out this October that I think he might want to see. Here's a little clip of the spooky music. Ooh, it's very scary music, isn't it? And there are clips of, like, Blair Witch style, which is now, what, 10, 15, 20 years old? Found footage and, you know, uh, staticky patterns and quick cuts. As these title cards rise on the screen, experience the terror. Evil is unleashed. A generational curse. Here's the evil we're talking about. You let something in with that pornography where there was light, there was dark. Harmless is the name of this film. It is a feature film in the, quote from the website, popular found footage style. It's the story of a husband and father and his battle with a box of porn that he finds in a closet. Once opened, the box of porn begins to torment the family because all of us who have boxes of porn at home know that if you take it out of the closet, it basically runs riot through the house, chases your kids, pulls your cat's tail. That's why you got to keep those boxes of porn in the closet. Um, yeah, once open, the box of porn begins to torment the family, much like a poltergeist. It's sort of a social commentary on how pornography can destroy a family. Not so much a poltergeist as a porntergeist, but that's a little harder to say. And I love that it's a box of porn. Does anybody have a box of porn anymore? If they wanted to be, I don't know, contemporary, they should have gone with maybe a laptop of porn or a phone full of porn or an internet full of porn. But a box of porn. They show the box in the trailer. You've got to go watch the trailer. Harmless trailer. Uh, go to YouTube. Search it. Harmless trailer. It's hilarious. It's like a little sort of yellow cardboard box. Full of porn! And it eats their children! I love the way they demonize pornography. Uh, almost everybody watches it, and yet almost everybody doesn't feed their children to their box of porn in their closet. Anyway, the paranoia. Of course, religious conservatives made this movie. Uh, for other religious conservatives, the paranoia about human sexuality and normal human sexual expression. Go to Pompeii. See the porn on the walls. And you know, I guess it's a bad example because look what happened to Pompeii. They opened a box of porn and then Mount Etna exploded. But porn, the Venus of Willendorf, porn has always been a part of human culture and human sexual expression. And I guess people who can't except that, have always been a part of human culture and human sexual oppression. And I'm the first to concede that people can hit it too much. Uh, people can watch too much porn. People can develop unrealistic expectations from porn, which is one of the reasons we don't want children to get their sex education from pornography, which is studies increasingly show where children are getting their sex education. If we don't give children good and comprehensive sex education that includes sex for pleasure, they will turn to pornography. If you don't want pornographers educating your children about sex, then you have to educate them about sex. But we will never be rid of porn. It doesn't matter how many people you convince that porn is a box once open, it'll eat your children. 
It'll always be with us. We have to have realistic and healthy attitudes about porn and portion control. Sometimes you got to push away from the worldwide fucking web full of porn uh, and go play with your children with your pants on. But porn is not going to come and eat your children. Evil is unleashed. Anyway, it's hilarious. When this comes out in the theaters, uh, I'm sure if it plays uh, in Seattle where I live, it'll be in a far-flung suburb near a megachurch. I'm going to this movie. I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens when one of the children is sucked into the box of porn. Your call's after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Are you feeling frisky? Want to take your sex life to the next level? Check out our friends at exandria.com. The Exandria Collection has the hottest sex toys and adult movies at unbeatable prices. Enter code SAVAGE, S-A-V-A-G-E, right now and get 20% off your entire order. Do it now at exandria.com. That's X-A-N-D-R-I-A dot com. Uh, hi. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, I'm an 18-year-old senior in high school, um, gay male. Uh, my high school is uh, starting this year. We have uh, GSA. We, you know, hadn't, um, but one of the juniors started it. Um, I haven't really connected with a lot of the other gay guys in my school. I've kind of, you know, I'm kind of a gay nerd, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, we don't have that much in common. Um, but there has been one guy who I've become interested in. Um, he's gay, and we have similar interests, um, and we, you know, um, we have a similar group of friends. We've talked some. Um, I've become really into him, um, but I'm relatively new to relationships. I've only had one, but it wasn't very serious. So my question is, how do I approach him? Do I just go right up to him and say I'm into him? Or, like, should I get to know him better first? Um, part of why I'm worried is that he has Asperger's, Asperger's syndrome, and I don't know if that affects how I should approach him, if I could, I, if I should take t- more time, or, like, with Asperger's that I should just go right up and tell him how I feel. Joining us by phone from her holiday cottage in Wales, Maxine Aston is an author and relationship counselor specializing in families affected by Asperger's syndrome. She's written the Asperger's Couples Workbook and Asperger's in Love. She has a new book coming out called What Men with Asperger's Want to Know About Dating Women and Relationships. Hey, Maxine, thank you so much for joining us during your vacation. Hi. How you Hi, doing? Hi, Dan. I'm doing fine, thank you. So uh, do you have any advice for gay boys who have crushes on other gay boys with Asperger's? How do you approach somebody that you're interested in romantically? Uh, well, first, for, for other people out there, just give us the, the brief definition of Asperger's and how it impacts people socially yes. and sexually. That is really important because I think anyone that's approaching or, or, or even considering having a relationship with someone with Asperger's, that they have to understand what the difference is. And the thing is, we're talking about, you know, I really, you know, I, I don't like the word disability. The thing is, stony affects a small part of the brain, so it's not going to change personality. In a way, I always compare it to someone affected by dyslexia, in a way that, you know, it affects how they read, write, and spell, and that can vary, you know, amongst different people. And with Asperger's syndrome, it will affect them in social interaction, nonverbal and verbal communication, empathetic thought, and most important, mind reading. And that's the important bit with dating. And these are all, you know, they're all important elements in forming relationships. 
for them, it, it, it's a minefield, you know. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine not being able to mind read, not able to pick up the social cues. When I when I work with um, couples and with individuals, I do what's called a mind in the eyes test. And it's something that's been developed from Cambridge, and it, it, it measures how well a person can read other people by looking at the eyes. And what one of the looks is the flirtatious look. And the amount of clients I have that completely misread it, they completely miss it. And when they, when they actually realize they're missing this look, they think, well, of all the chances that they've probably missed. Uh-huh. Okay, so, this, so, so getting, down, getting to this boy's question, he's attracted to this guy. This guy has Asperger's. He needs to know that you know, he can make all the come fuck me faces that he wants at this boy, but the boy is unlikely to be able to pick up on that cue. He won't recognize Absolutely. the flirtatious eyes for what they are. So what's, what is your advice to someone who is romantically attracted to somebody, sexually attracted to somebody who has Asperger's? How should they approach that person? They, should, they obviously well, can't wait for, that, for the Asperger's uh, sufferer to approach them or to read their cues. They need to be proactive. Absolutely. They have to take the initiative. And they also have to do it in a way that's very clear and direct. People with Asperger's syndrome, they say what they mean and they mean what they say. And all they want is the same in return. But sometimes verbal communication can be quite difficult. It can, make, you know, put them under a lot of pressure. So sometimes sending a text or an email is a better way around of actually approaching someone with Asperger's syndrome because that gives them time to read it, process it, and decide what to do. And it also prevents you from chickening out mid pickup line. You're not, you know, you, you may start to, the, the boy may approach the boy and get nerves and then back out or not say exactly what he means or bail. And the, the, the right. kid he's sitting on who has Asperger's or, you know, asking out on a date who has Asperger's may not be able to tell what the hell just happened. Whereas if he composes his thoughts, the kid who called uh, and sends them in an email to this boy he has a crush on, He's less likely to panic or misread a misread cue that he's getting back from the kid he's sitting on. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, if it is met with a rejection, I, I think it's important that, you know, at 18, that, that's quite young for someone on the spectrum because emotionally they're still developing. So they might be, you know, still busy um, chasing their intellectual pursuits, their special interests. And I often find with, with a lot of the um, men that I work with, they would delay a relationship till after their education's finished hmm. because they find trying to cope with the two things too much. It's too much pressure. So, you know, if it is met with a rejection, I, th- I think it's important not to take it personal. It's just about timing. And, you know, and it's important to say, well, okay, maybe we're not going to go there now, but, you know, I'll, I'll still be here. So, so it, it's, it's doing things in their time. Are most people with Asperger's, romantically speaking, late bloomers? Yes, they can be. They can be. And some, you know, they might not pursue relationships till they're maybe in their 30s, 40s when they, when they feel ready. Because it isn't always top of their priority list. You know, they're, they're intellectual thinkers, you know, mm-hmm. so many are, are, are of higher intelligence. Would you advise this boy not to ask the kid out that he's attracted to? Or do you think he should give the, the, the kid the opportunity to take him up on it or say yes, uh, but just be gracious if he, if he says no, if he declines? I think it's putting it in a way saying, look, 
I, th- I think you're fantastic, and I'd, I'd really, you know, like to get to know you better. But I appreciate it. It's up to you, you know. And if if you want to take me up on this, then you know, I'm more than willing. So it's it's giving them the choice. It's letting them know, you know. I, I think definitely letting them know the attractions there. Do you think? But don't it, push it. Is it an error to speak in those common euphemisms like "get to know you better," "might be nice to hang out sometime." Or should he be even more direct than that? Like, I'm interested in you romantically. I'd like to go on on a date. I'm attracted to you physically, emotionally. I mean, how explicit and, and unambiguous should he be? I think you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can't someone with Asperger's... I think you should be interviewing yourself. Yeah. Well, can't someone with Asperger's misread it. something like get to know you better and just take that as don't we know each other fine already? Aren't we already getting to know each other better? We've yeah. been hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. So how explicit should he be? Exactly as you said. It's saying, you know, I have a physical attraction to you. I have a sexual attraction to you. And it's really, it is saying it absolutely as it is. But, you know, or, or writing it exactly as it is in an email. I do find, you know, with the couples that I see, it's it's two guys that are in an AS, non-AS relationship that really do seem to you know, have the most success rate. The gay guys in these relationships yep. have the most? Why, why do you think that is? I think it's because um, men can be a little bit more logical. I, I think for some of the men I work with, they, they find that women can be very emotionally demanding mm-hmm. and they don't always say what they mean, whereas guys are more upfront. You know, it's this is as it is. Well, women are socialized and, uh, not to be direct about their needs. Women are socialized to not just lay it on the table and say, these are my needs and you're mm. going to meet them. Whereas a guy makes demands. A woman is socialized not to make demands. It's not ladylike. That's right. That's right. absolutely right. And when I work with heterosexual couples, that is one of the things that she has to learn. You know, that has to change. And um, if it doesn't change, then, you know, he, he can't guess what she's thinking. He, he can't. I'm constantly telling women who aren't dating men with Asperger's that men aren't mind readers, that they can't expect (laughs) that that needs are going to magically be met through intuition, uh, that you have to put your needs out there. Whether or not your guy has Asperger's, you just have to lay lay it on the table and say, I have these expectations. I have these needs. Your job, meet them, and I will meet yours in return. What are they? That would make relationships yeah. so much better. People don't don't just want like a considerate lover, a good lay, uh, someone who can take care of them when they're sick, somebody who's kind and fun to hang out with. They also want someone who's clairvoyant, and those people don't exist, whether you have Asperger's or not. No, that no, they don't. And in my first book, I wrote about this in communication, and it's so many people will say, oh, you know, I, I'm really fed up with this. It's, it's not going well," and but they don't actually tell the other person what they want them to do about it. And, you know, one of the important rules is, is to end a sentence, right, but, you know, with, with being direct and saying, look, you know, I need you to sit and talk to me more. It might be good and, advice if um, everybody treated their lovers like they had Asperger's, even if they don't. Just err on the side of treating them like they have Asperger's. Be direct, be mm-hmm. unambiguous, be clear, put your needs out there, make sure they understand don't use euphemistic language. Maxine Aston, you can go to her website, www.maxineaston.co.uk. Thanks so much for joining us on your holiday. We really appreciate it. My pleasure.
This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Drop Dead Healthy, One Man's Humble Quest for Bodily Perfection by A.J. Jacobs. He also wrote The Year of Living Biblically, uh, which was hilarious. I was flipping through this book the other day in an airport, and it seems equally hilarious. And you can get it for free on audiobook. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at I am a 24-year-old girl in a small town in the Midwest. And this summer, I met this guy who was incredibly sexy and, you know, like a bad boy type. Um, and one night, we made out. And then I found out later that he uh, had recently started dating another girl, but she lived in Chicago. And I felt bad about it once I found out. But then, you know, several weeks later, I was drunk one night and I made out with him again. And I know that that was not an acceptable thing to do because, you know, I don't like to cause other people to cheat. And I felt really guilty about it. And you know, just kind of held on to this guilt for a few months, but I was still attracted to him. I just wanted to, like, be respectful of their relationship. They had a bad breakup in the early winter, and I had a breakup several months later, and once again, we got drunk and hooked up, and right around the same time, his ex-girlfriend decided that she wanted to become friends with me because it was a small town, we're in a small social circle, and she has been really pursuing a friendship with me. And she's a really cool, awesome girl. And I just have this guilt. Um, and the other night, she told me that, you know, she thought I had the makings to be a best friend. But, you know, she had three qualifications for being best friend. And one of them was honesty. The other one was not feeling the other guy's man, you know, the other person's man. And then I forgot what the third one was. And I know I should tell her. I know I'm being a coward, but also I wonder, like, is it going to do her any good or is it just going to cause her more harm, you know, because she's already heard about this relationship. Why give her cause to be hurt about something else? Keep your mouth shut. Just shut the fuck up. Why would you even bring this up? You know, that this guy was pursuing you while his relationship with this other girl was obviously coming apart, winding down. You know, often the ends of relationships can be slightly messy, squalid affairs. Uh, there's nothing to be gained by going and telling this girl that, oh, just so you know, uh, just because I feel you have a right to know, your ex-boyfriend right before you guys, you know, made ex-official, he was fucking me, or I slept with him, or we hooked up, or we made out. There's nothing to be gained from that except reopening an old wound and salting it. Their relationship is over. Uh, you know something about this guy that she doesn't know, but you don't know something about him that may not be true of her. For all you know, you know, as their relationship was winding down and coming apart, she made out with a couple of other guys too. People do that at the end of relationships when both people know it's over and they're still together officially, perhaps because they have a lease or you know, extricating themselves from a relationship is going to take a little longer logistically than they would like and they just don't want to declare it over officially because then they're – going to have to confront all sorts of other messy issues emotionally or living together wise. They just sort of let it ride and both of them start living independently and separately even while technically they're still together. For all you know, that's what they were both doing. So just 
fucking shut your mouth. Leave it alone. Don't bring it up. Stuff it down the memory hole. Just err on the side of not reopening potentially somebody else's wound and dumping salt in it. Just shut your trap. Are you ready for some mind-blowing sex? Then check out our friends at exandria.com. The Exandria Collection has the hottest sex toys for men and women at unbeatable low prices. They've been putting smiles on faces for more than 35 years, and everything they sell comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee and is delivered with absolute discretion. Whether you're single, in a relationship, or just bored, they'll put a zip in your step. At least in your step. Guaranteed. Don't settle for ordinary, experienced, truly orgasmic sex. Shop now and save 20% off your entire order. Just enter code SAVAGE during checkout. Start shopping now at exandria.com. That's X-A-N-D-R-I-A dot com. Hey, Dan. I've been listening to the podcast for about four years now. Um, my wife and I have recently started exploring the swinger lifestyle and have attended uh, four parties now since the beginning of the year. At what point should... Uh, new people in people in the swinger lifestyle be getting tested for SDIs. I mean, condoms are the rule at these parties, but oral sex seems to rarely inclu- include a condom. Um, so I was just wondering what you had to say about that. As with any pleasurable pursuit, there are trade-offs. There are risks and there are rewards. Uh, if you're going, if you and your wife are going to swing, if you're going to have uh, outside sexual contact, that obviously brings a a heightened risk of sexually transmitted infection. Your risks are greater. Um, There's a study out of the Netherlands and the UK a few years ago that found that swingers, heterosexual swingers, were at the same STI risk levels that other high-risk groups like young people, gay people, and prostitutes are at. So what should you and your wife be doing about testing? You should test regularly. You should use condoms. Uh, A lot of people don't use condoms for oral and a lot of people in the swinging scene. And Condoms, even when used and used correctly, don't provide 100% protection against anything and certainly not against sexually transmitted infections that can be passed through skin-to-skin contact like herpes and HPV. What you and your wife need to have is a conversation about what it will mean to you and to her. Should you, through these new sexual horizons that are open to you, what it'll mean if you contract an STI is the pleasure of these parties and these experiences and these outside sexual contacts worth not just the elevated risk of an STI, but project yourself into a future reality where you two have contracted an STI and ask yourselves how you're going to feel. Is that going to be so devastating emotionally that you'll regret all of these parties that you went to? Then you should stop going now. If you can't shoulder that risk um, – and you can't face up to the possibility that you'll contract an STI, then you shouldn't be doing this because your odds are, again, so much greater. If you go regularly, you should be tested every three months for everything. That can get expensive, but you should be tested for everything, as should all of your play partners at these clubs. A lot of people I know, heterosexuals who are involved in swinging, winnow their play partners down to a select few people that they know and trust and they know well and who test regularly like they do as a way to minimize the risk as opposed to going to every party and playing with just anyone they should meet there. So you have options beyond parties or no parties when it comes to mitigating some of those risks. But your risks are higher and you should be tested regularly. And it's important to remember when we talk about testing and risk that testing isn't safety. Testing doesn't 
confer upon you some sort of retroactive immunity to whatever was being passed around at that party. Uh, testing only can let you know if you have indeed contracted something and you need to get treated or then in future inform your sex partner so they can make an informed decision about whether they want to fuck you. Um, but testing, you know, people conflate testing with safety. They say, are you safe? Oh, yeah, I get tested as if testing is safety. Testing ain't safety. Testing is testing. Let there be no confusion. Hello, Mr. Savage. I'm a uh, mainly heterosexual uh, white male that's 30 years old, and I'm calling because I'm active in a uh, local kink and fetish scene, and we have a yearly convention that uh, just happened over or a couple of weeks ago. And at this at this convention, there's a dungeon set up for play, but on two of the days. There's a men, a biological male-only party and a biological female-only party. Now, neither one of these events are sponsored by or are put on by the event itself. They're sponsored by people who are coming to the event. Um, they're responsible for setting up, for doing everything, so they set the rules. And there's been some, <clears throat> there's been some uh, backlash recently from the trans community, I guess. I, I say I guess because these are people who don't necessarily identify as transsexual, but that's kind of where they fit in, I guess, I think. Um, and they have been saying that they feel excluded from these parties, whereas the people who are putting on the parties say that they just want to have a safe place to play with, well, the people that they want to play with. And I was just wondering um, if you had any thoughts on that. Backlash from the trans community? Tell me about it. Okay, so if you're going to throw a party or people who are you know affiliated with or attending this larger kink event throw parties that are limited to biological males and biological females, that is designed expressly to exclude trans people. Um, they feel excluded, the trans people who attend the, the, the larger kink event, because they're being excluded. These parties are indeed discriminatory. And I don't know why people would feel unsafe playing in the same room with people who were not born male or born female but who now identify as male or female respectively. You know, you go to a play party, an S&M play party, you're not required to play with everyone. There is sort of an understanding that you're only allowed to jump into someone else's scene at their invitation. Otherwise, you can go and do your own thing. Um, so I don't understand what's unsafe necessarily about – making these parties open to all, all people who are male or female, whether they were born male or female. Uh, if there are people, though, who want to limit the party to bio-male or bio-female, they need to have the courage of their screwy convictions and say, yes, this is discriminatory and we are discriminating and suck it. You just have to own up to it. You can't ask people who are being discriminated against. I mean, you have a right to discriminate. You have a right to throw a party and not invite any blank people. You can fill in the blank, but you have to own up to your assholery. You may have your reasons and they may be good or they may seem good to you, but own up to it. Say, yes, we're having bio-female party, bio-male party only. Sorry that excludes you, but we're going to do it. And you have to like own your assholery at that moment. Just own it. And you can trot your reasons out. Like I said, you can lay them on the table, but at the end of the day, you have to uh, have the courage of your cracked convictions. And maybe then having to articulate exactly what it is you're afraid of might just help you overcome those fears. 
So I would encourage you to have these conversations with the people you are excluding from these parties in part because it might help whoever's throwing them get to a place where they no longer feel – where they start to feel ridiculous about these exclusionary policies and they no longer feel a need to enforce them. I have a son. He's nine years old and he likes girl things. He likes dolls and dresses and all of his friends are girls um, and he's very sensitive and and um, and that's fine with me and it's fine with my husband. We've never – shamed him. We've never tried to change him. We have two other kids, two girls, and we understand that every child is different and, and we're delighted with him. Um, the, my question is that, that I see that he himself seems ashamed and embarrassed, and that makes me feel so hurt for him. Um, for example, the other day I came into the room where we have our computer and he was watching a YouTube video on how to apply eye makeup or something. And he immediately like, looked embarrassed and tried to turn it off. And I said, I said, I don't, I said, it doesn't matter to me what you're watching. The only thing I care about is have you done your homework? So um, I guess my question is how do I instill in him the sense that he's fine the way he is. He doesn't have to be ashamed of himself. His parents aren't ashamed of him. Um, Another problem, though, sometimes is that his sisters make fun of him. And of course, you know, for being a sissy or, and um, which is pretty funny since his twin sister is very masculine and very much a tomboy, but of course that's more accepted. But of course, when they do that, I, try to nip that in the bud and, and I say that he's fine the way he is and so what? And so I feel like uh, his dad and I are doing everything we can, but but again, it just makes me feel bad that he seems to feel bad and ashamed and I guess he's just internalized all the societal, you know, the boy things around him. But um, what can we do? Here's what you can do. You can jump down your daughter's throats about them bullying your son about his interests in stereotypically girly things. And when you talk to your son about it, like when you came into the room and he was watching the videos about makeup, instead of saying, I don't care what you're watching one way or the other, what matters to me is homework, which is taking sort of this kind of pained slash neutral stance on his interest in makeup, you need to affirm it. You need to say, that's wonderful that you're interested in makeup. And there's a lot of really talented makeup artists out there who are men and a lot of boys in the, in the beauty industry in that field. Um, and that's great. Uh, but right now you need to be doing your homework. What you don't want to sort of reinforce by erring on the side of neutrality is you know you don't want your son to get the idea that you would much rather he was watching something else, but you're just going to not really address it, not say anything. And maybe you were affirming in the moment and just in your um, recap of the interaction, you came across as I'm going to be neutral. Neutral when someone is has minority interests or uh, stigmatized interests or choices. Neutrality can seem like hostility. So you kind of almost need to go out of your way to be affirming in that moment, especially if your kids go to the same school. Your daughters may be bullying your son not just at home but also at school so as not to be bullied themselves. Uh, you know, a lot of siblings will participate in the bullying of their 
queer or gender nonconforming uh, younger brothers or sisters so that their peers don't think they're one too, whatever peers think a nine-year-old is at that point. Uh, so I would come down on your sister – so I would come down on your daughters and let them know that you expect them to treat their brother lovingly and kindly and not to stigmatize his interests in quote-unquote girly things because if indeed he is gay, one day they're going to need him to do their makeup for junior prom and if they don't want him – to think back to the way they were treating him when he was nine and paint their faces to make them look like trash, they might want to be decent to him now. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a college student. Um, I have identified as lesbian all my life. Um, but recently I tried out being with a guy. Um, I, just, I met this amazing guy and we just had this incredible connection that I never had with a guy before. And so... We tried dating, and I mean, we tried it out, and it was going really great. Like we had a fantastic connection, fantastic relationship. And then once it got to sex, I just I quickly realized that it wasn't what I wanted. Um, that I really was more into girls, and I wanted to be with girls. And so I, I did what I thought was the right thing. I I immediately broke it off of him. Um, like the day after we had sex for the first time. And the the part that's really breaking me up is just that this guy was really, like we were both really into each other and I really broke his heart. And I, I, I've been sort of like just trying to figure out what I can do or say to him to make it easier for him. Because, I mean, I think that he feels like he was a pawn in an experiment and like, he was used, and I, I don't want him to feel that way because it, it didn't feel that way to me at the time. Um, I had genuine feelings for him, and I really thought that maybe this would work. Maybe we could actually be in a relationship. Maybe I could be bisexual. And it took getting physical to realize that I couldn't, but I don't think I could have realized that otherwise. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, how do I make this okay? I know that he's really broken up about this, and I know that he just thought that this was going to last. He had been talking about, you know, what we were going to be doing over the summer and next year and thought that this was going to be a really big thing for both of us, and I kind of did too. And now I just I want to keep a relationship with him somehow, be friends with him somehow, but I don't want to be the one to to force that on him because he's the one who got broken up with. He probably needs his space, and I don't I don't know how much space I should give him or how much I should try to talk to him. Oh, for Christ's sake. I knew, I knew when they, they didn't let me listen to this call in advance. Sometimes the tech savvy at risk youth, they'll play calls for me in advance. Sometimes they just spring one on me, and I looked at them when the words, I have identified as a lesbian all my life came out of your mouth, because I knew the very next thing you were going to say was, I recently had a dick in me. Oh, my God. Listen, you're going to have to be the bad guy here. Uh, I know that you don't – you didn't want to hurt him and you're sad that he's hurt, but he's hurt. And you did hurt him and you were experimenting and that's fine. You're in a stage of life where you're allowed to experiment. You're, no, you're allowed to experiment through all stages of life. You gave it a try. It, it wasn't true to who you were. You could only find that out by going there. You liked him enough to go there to stick his dick in you even though you're a dyke. Uh, and that says something about how much you liked him and how awesome he is. You lay all that out for him as I'm sure you already have. And if what he needs to tell himself right now is that he has been badly used 
and that he is mad at you and that's the, the, the tack he needs to take. That, that's, he needs to cauterize the emotional wounds by being mad at you. Let him. Let him be mad at you. Have the decency to let him be upset. Have the decency to be the bad guy here because in a way you were. Not intentionally. There was no malice. But you kind of were the bad guy here. You, I believe you said I have identified as a lesbian all my life. Uh, you knew that about yourself. You thought maybe after meeting this one particular guy that you might be bi and you explored that with him and he got hurt in the process. You're not the bad guy in the like snidely whiplash black hat, you know, Joker and Batman villain sense. But you're the bad guy in the, you know, you were dinking around and you invited him along and for you it was an experiment. For him, it's who he is. He's straight and he's into women and he really was crushed out on you and maybe really crushed out on you and it didn't work out and he got hurt. Let him be hurt. Let him be mad. And it'll play out. If you try to tell him now that he's not allowed to feel the way he's feeling, that he's not allowed to be mad at you, if you try to guilt him about being mad at you by explaining you know, at great length what you've probably already told him or rehashing it, rehashing it, and telling him he's not allowed to feel the feelings he's feeling, you'll never have a friendship. You'll never get to a place where he works through it, where he can forgive you um, and be around you again without being pained. If you demand that he pretend that he's not hurt uh, so that he can continue to hang out with you or so that you don't have to feel at all bad about what went down. He may do it, but it's really going to fuck your relationship up. It's really going to drag it to an unhealthy place. Let him be mad. Give it time. Give him space. Maybe eventually he'll be able to put it in perspective, be able to see his part in it too. The fact that he knew that you had identified as a lesbian all your life, the fact that he knew that it was an experiment for you and that he was setting himself up potentially for just this kind of heartbreak. He needs to take his responsibility too, but let it play out. Give it time. And sometimes you just got to let yourself be the bad guy. And this is one of those times. Hey, Dan, uh, this is just a comment and a question. First, my comment is um, to the lady in episode 288 who's afraid of bisexual women. Uh, my wife and I are both uh, bisexual. We've been together for six years, married for a year and a half, so uh, there are women out there who won't leave you for men. Um, and I'm sorry she's had such a rough go of it. Uh, my second is a question. Um, the last episode, you were pretty down on bisexuals who don't Bisexuals in heterosexual relationships who don't self-identify. Um, but my question is about bisexuals in homosexual relationships who don't self-identify. My wife and I, like I said, are bisex both bisexual. Um, whenever people meet us, they just kind of brown us as lesbian, and we never correct them. Um, but I'm curious. Uh, is that wrong? Are we making the world worse for bisexuals? Um, I would like to know. The reason bisexuals need to be out uh, to their straight friends is because nothing undoes someone's homophobia or their hatred and fear of LGBT people like knowing they know someone who's LGBT. And there are many, many, many closeted bisexuals out there because they can be closeted. The ones who wind up in opposite sex relationships can sort of disappear into presumed and default heterosexuality and many do. Not all, but many do. The reason you and your wife should be out is because there are certain elements of the lesbian and gay community that are biphobic and it might help them to know that they know someone who's bi and that some of the people that they know are bi are actually in same-sex relationships, even married to each other. So yeah, I would encourage you for the same reasons that 
Bi people who are in opposite sex relationships should be out to their straight friends, family members, coworkers. Uh, I would encourage you to be out to your gay friends and your straight friends about the fact that you are not lesbian, not to let people make that assumption that you are bi because that will combat the biphobia that's so prevalent among so many lesbians, including the lesbian in the call last week who said she would never date a bi woman because bi women always run back to men. Uh, say that woman's in your social circle. There you both are, two bi women who are married to each other and not running back to any dude, even if occasionally you're splitting one. That would be very helpful for her to know that she knows you. But the lesbians that you know who are biphobic, they need to know that you're bi to get over their biphobia. And that's something you can do that's positive for bi people and for lesbians. So be out, be out, wherever you are. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm calling you the morning after I lost my virginity um, because um, I recently started dating this guy who turned me on to your podcast, and I think it's great, and I feel like I've learned a lot from listening to you. And when I started to date him, I was really nervous about telling him that I was a virgin. And I Googled your name plus virginity, and I found a short video of you saying that if I'm, if you're afraid about scaring somebody off by telling them that you're a virgin, then you don't want to sleep with that person anyway. So I took that advice to heart when I um, told him about being a virgin, and he was totally cool and understanding and supportive and um, ready to be patient with me whenever I was ready to do it. And um, obviously, um, he listens to you and um, knows how to handle such situations. But anyway, so we finally did it last night and it was really great. And just wanted to say uh, thank you for your podcast and the great advice that you give. And I hope that you're well. Congratulations on losing your virginity. That's awesome. And I'm glad my advice worked for you. Uh, other virgins out there, I hear from you all the time that you are worried that if you tell someone you're a virgin, he won't want to sleep with you again. If somebody doesn't want to sleep with you because you're a virgin, that's not the kind of person that you want to risk sleeping with as a virgin. You want to find somebody who's going to be a little considerate, a little thoughtful, take their time. And your virginity, your V card, is a wonderful fucking superpower that's going to divide all the people out there in the world into douchebags you shouldn't lose your virginity to and thoughtful, considerate, compassionate people who would be worth it. Just like with the previous caller. She put it out there and the guy, if he'd said, well, no, run for the hills, would have been a lousy person for her to have sex with the first time, even if she hadn't told him. But she told him and he responded so well and then the sex worked out wonderfully. And if he hadn't responded well, she would have gone on to tell somebody else who would have and it would have worked out just as well. Thank you so much for your call. Congratulations on the loss of your virginity. And uh, tell your boyfriend, sex partner, I didn't quite catch who he was, tell your man friend that I said, hey, and thanks. Hi, this is regarding episode 288, the epic episode of Bisexuals, and it's also a general public service announcement. Hi, I'm a bisexual female in my mid-20s. I've dated women and men before you, and if or when our relationship ends, I will date women and men after you. If you're a gay woman and I date a man after you, or if you're a heterosexual man and I date a woman after you, guess what? It has absolutely nothing to do with you or our now defunct relationship. So get over yourself. It's about your episode 288, where I find it just fascinating that you castigate all of these guys for having sex in the park, and then your next call is about a woman having sex on an airplane. 
what if I'd been flying on that airplane with my grandmother, you know? Um, what if I had had my little tiny niece along with me? It seems to me kind of a double standard that you think it's okay for straight people to have sex on a plane, but for gay people to have sex in a park, that's just the evilest thing that's ever happened. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about episode 288, the woman who wanted to know if giving a blowjob on an airplane uh, qualified for her for the um, uh, Mile High Club. And uh, he's always been good about the, the gay perspective and the straight perspective and, and the bi perspective, but here's the pilot's perspective. Uh, for us, you're not a member of the Mile High Club unless one of the people involved is actually flying the airplane. So uh, all this other stuff about, you know, having sex in the airplane lavatory, that's, that's just bush league. Someone's got to be in the cockpit. So if, uh, if your caller wants to come up and, uh, you know, suck me off in the cockpit, I'll even give her a, a mile high pen. I'd be happy to. Thanks a lot. Love the show. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you all for your calls and your comments. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast if you'd like to record a question. And before we go, a quick shout out to Savage Love listeners in North Carolina. There's a vote a week from today on May 8th on Amendment 1, which would amend North Carolina state constitution not just to ban same-sex marriage, which is already illegal in North Carolina, but civil unions, domestic partnerships. It would hurt children. It would hurt families. It would hurt straight people who are coupled and unmarried uh, by preventing the state from recognizing any coupled relationship that wasn't a marriage. That would mean even straight couples who were living together who had perhaps wills or durable powers of attorney would be harmed too. Uh, You're all voting a week from Tuesday. Uh, You're in our thoughts there in North Carolina. This week, Terry and I donated $1,000 to protect all North Carolina families to help battle that initiative. If there are any listeners out there who have some change to spare, Please go to protectalncfamilies.com, click donate. Every little bit helps. doesn't have to be a grand, uh, but Terry and I want to jump in a big way. And if you can jump in in a bigger way, please do. Here in our thoughts, North Carolina. Good luck. And hey, polls are moving our way. This could be a big upset win in North Carolina, and it would be huge to defeat an anti-gay marriage amendment in a southern state, a Bible Belt state. Uh, and the polls are trending our way, trending uh, justice's way. So uh, you won't be wasting your money or flushing it down the toilet if you go to protectalncfamilies.com and throw them a few bucks. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.